0: So um, we're in the Revelation chapter 1, and uh, let me review just a little bit because of, of the, of the uh, I don't know, profundity, because of the profound um, importance of what's going on here to review with regard to the Revelation There's one of the original apostles left alive, and that's John. John the Beloved. um, The one, he was actually the youngest of all of them, probably in his mid-teens or so when he started uh, as a disciple of Christ. His brother was James. James and John, the sons of thunder. Uh, John is exiled, we're going to see this here in this study, but anybody who's ever studied the Bible knows that he is very old. It's, it's in the 90s. Uh, my, my dog is excited back there in the backyard, and thankfully so. Uh, keeps the zombies away. Um, in his 90s, exiled. Pat, let we'll talk about that a little more when we get into the scriptures here. But the important thing is how this thing started because the the, the first couple of verses gives to us what we need to keep in the back of our minds all the way through the book of the Revelation, namely that God the Father has given God the Son the revelation of who he is. This is a gift to the church. It goes to the seven churches and then out from there. This is the last book of the Bible. This closes the canon of Scripture. And and I don't know if we'll be in this book long enough because I'm doing it while we're enclosed. Um, But at the last of the book of the Revelation, there's a warning. You don't add to this book. This is it. You don't take away from this book. This book completes the canon of Scripture Uh, And the Lord Christ, of course, uh, seals it with with his own testimony. Now, um, think about this relative to the whole book of the Revelation. The unveiling of who Jesus Christ is. He is granted. It is the will of the Father. It is the will of the Father for the Son to reveal himself now. They saw him as a penniless carpenter. They saw him in the the post-resurrection body. But now they're going to see him, and of course he was receiving this glory that is peculiarly his, the glory that belongs to God the Son, and and Philippians 2 talks about the glory of the Lord, and... Uh, of the Son of God, and then John 17, the Lord himself prayed about it, uh, about receiving that glory again. So He re- it, apparently in, in, the, in the account of the ascension, he begins to receive that uh, glory. That's He's endowed once again. He's finished his work. He, he put away the, the sins of his own, paid the price for our redemption. Uh, so now... There's one disciple left. I forgot to silence that thing. Uh, the, uh, let me, I'll give this to you. Thank you so much. And you can silence it. Um, and this one disciple now is given the task and he is commissioned here. We'll see that. He's commissioned here to write the account Of the revelation, the manifestation, the unveiling of God the Son. How does he do that? Well, we're going to see the outline again. We saw that at the very very beginning. It's in verse 19. Write down the things that you see, the things that are, and the things that will be after these things. Uh, And that last part, after these things, it makes up the major portion of the revelation. All right, so here, the Son of God, the Son, by the will of the Father, gives to his last living apostle this word that closes the canon of Scripture. And that word is to fully and completely reveal the person of the Christ, namely his deity, his power, his authority. So, what do we see? The revealing of the Christ, the unveiling of the Christ, the pulling back of the curtain. It's like if somebody has 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 uh, hammered out a sculptor uh, a, a sculpture and, and and the sculptor is has a date with everybody and he has a he has a cover over it. and Then he uncovers it. That's unveiling. That's apocalypse. That's The revelation. So now the implication is that the church up to this point understood the teaching, the deity of Christ, and and understood it to a point, but may not have appreciated it. And now the church is armed finally and completely with the revelation. We are armed with the doctrine of the deity of Christ and all that he is. He is God in the flesh. This is what's being revealed. So you think about this, he he is the one who has the authority to take the title deed of earth, for example, the scroll, the the seven sealed scroll. He is the one who has the authority to send forth judgment upon earth. Uh, He is the one who has the authority um, to finally confront the final Gentile power, the Antichrist, the beast, uh, and all of his armies and to defeat them. And he is the one who has the authority to judge all things. He's the one who has the authority to establish the kingdom. He is the king. He is God, very God of very God. And then he is the one who is granted the authority. Then when all of this stuff in, in er, on earth is over, in the first earth and the first heaven, he, he then delivers it up to the Father, the whole thing. And then there's a new heaven and a new earth. So that he, there's God. He He is God. This is God. How we see. He's God, the our God, whom we see and with whom we relate. Um, this is This is revealed. The, the, the church probably, well, obviously, didn't understand the whole thing until now. The Son is granted uh, the the release of his manifestation of his revelation. And he will give it to one, he will, he will give it, and he'll use angels, but the guy responsible for writing it all down is John, the last of the living apostles, uh, somewhere in his 80s probably. He, he might have been as old as, as 90 years old. He's very old. So they, this is a gift, you see. This is a gift from the Father to the Son, and it's a wonderful gift from the Son through his apostle to the church. That we can see who he is, the power he has, everything under control, and all things are headed to what's in the Revelation. It's under his control, so because he's he is God, our God and Savior, uh, Jesus Christ. So now, with all that in mind, let's keep going here with uh, with verse um, with verse nine. I, John, your brother, and uh, fellow. Partaker, fellow, it's it's a it's a, sun canonis, sun canonis. uh sun it's a compound word sun is with and kanos to share so it means to share with. Now here's what John is saying, and this was a rough time. This is a hard time for the church at the close of the first century. What John is saying is this: he's saying, you know, I'm right there with you. I'm getting, I'm getting whipped with a whip. I'm in chains. Um, I'm being mistreated. I'm old. And I can't endure it like some people can, but obviously the Holy Spirit strengthens him. And what he's saying is, I, I'm right there in, in this thing with you. We're all together. This is the way the church is. The church, of course, will exult in its, in its glory and victory finally. But moving through this life, We are fellow partakers of of each other's afflictions. We understand that if we're Christians, much of the time we're going to have a hard time uh, because of our our testimony. This is what he says. He says, uh, I, John, your brother and uh, fellow sharer or fellow partaker, in the tribulation, the pressure flipsy. Now we know that uh, he's about to, to he's about to describe the tribulation in a couple of well in a couple of chapters from now three chapters beginning in chapter four on over in chapter five um so you know he says it doesn't matter where you are when you are i i've i've suffered with this we're all in this together and then of course the church of the first century the close of the first century was having trouble they were in pressure they were getting killed fed to the lions um I'm your fellow partaker in tribulation. I'm your fellow partaker in the kingdom. Uh, You and I in Christ right now, we're in the kingdom. It's a spiritual kingdom, but the spiritual kingdom then uh, will come into the physical kingdom when the thousand years are established and we will have authority uh, in, in that kingdom. But right now we're in the spiritual kingdom and he is our king. So he says, I'm fellow partaker in your pressures or your tribulation in the kingdom, and uh, endurance in the uh, the in the enduring your uh, uh, your patient your patient your patient travels your patient way that, that you carry yourselves out, you're, what you're doing, you're doing in patience or you're doing in endurance. So what John is saying is, John is saying, I'm not any different from you. I'm in this thing with you and we're in this thing together and it's difficult. He could just as well say that he's with us today, his word and the kind of suffering and, of course, the, the suffering of quarantine and all that, that's, that is not peculiar to the church today, and I wouldn't say that it is. Uh, I will say, however, that all of us together, including the church, are suffering uh, somewhat. But it's 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 a characteristic of who we are in Christ because he says, in Jesus. He says, I'm your fellow preacher, in Jesus. Uh, and uh, he says here, I John was in the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. This this was the charge against him. He believed and preached the word of God by giving his testimony for Jesus, the testimony of Jesus, and the world hated him. Sorry. <laughs> This is such a wonderful gospel, you know. Such a wonderful thing. It's uh, it's uh, it's 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 difficult. It's difficult to believe that so much of the world hates the testimony of Jesus. Let's talk about this phrase here that he just gave us. So he says he's on the Island of Patmos, and we've all heard that, those of us who've read the Bible and studied the Revelation at any length, the last of the living apostles, perhaps as old as 90 years old, and uh, there's a guy named um, Wadsworth, maybe? Uh, He's a church historian, and he wrote for a long time about the church. He did a lot of study, and he said the only way that people were imprisoned, there was a methodology from Rome Uh, before getting put on the boat to sail to Patmos, he would have been scourged. So he'd have had a bad whipping from the Romans. Then they'd have put him on the boat. Now this boat had a 40-mile trip. The closest port from Patmos was 40 miles away. See, way out there in their day, 40 miles was just a long way uh, for a little boat to travel. So he would have been whipped and he would have been hurting and injured, uh, Then he would have been bound in chains to make the trip. He would have been bound in chains on the Isle of Patmos. He would have been scantily clad, and he would have been underfed. Uh, he suffered. He suffered. But he is here on this island because Jesus is going to commission him for giving to us this wonderful account of the unveiling. Of the reality and the wonder and the glory of God the Son. The church had put bits and pieces together and understood somewhat of the deity of Christ, but not to this extent. Until now, it is given to the church. So he continues I was in spirit on the Lord's day. Now, there's, you know, some people say, okay, oh, he's talking about he was projected forward into the day of the Lord. And that's not what he means because here, K, uh, which is translated lords, L-O-R-D apostrophe S, capital L, it's an adjective. It's not a noun. The day of the Lord, there'd be a noun there, but the Lord, the day of the Lord is the day of God's wrath, the time of God's wrath. But that's not how it's written here. It's written a different way. So he was in spirit, and it's proper to put the definite article, although it's not there, in the spirit, on the Lord's day. Lords, it's an, it's an, it's an adjective, not a noun. kirake uh, can't see it any other way. So on the Lord's day, not the day of the Lord, but the Lord's day. That can only mean that he was on the day when, when Christ was resurrected. That can only mean Sunday. So it was a Sunday, and I heard behind me a voice, a loud voice, like that of a trumpet. Now this loud voice thing is going to, you'll hear that quite a bit, or read it quite a bit in the Revelation. That means that that this is so important, nothing else needs to enter into your ears, and it just sort of drowns everything out and gains your complete attention, that's the way it is with John. So he said, I heard behind me a loud voice like that of a trumpet, saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. So he is uh, he is the protos, ho protos, the first, caho eskatas and the last. All right, that means that he is the creator and the consummator. He's the one who brought everything together. He's gonna be the one who's gonna take it apart and put us into the new age of the new heaven and the new earth. Uh, He is first and last. He is the one who created us. He's the one who's going to judge us. Uh, And that's who he is. It's him. I am. Is him. What you see, write in a book. Biblion, a scroll, a Biblion. What you see, write in a scroll and send to the seven churches to Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergamum and to Thyatira and to Sardis and to Philadelphia. And to Laodicea. Now these were these were major cities. There were churches there. They they were humble churches. It doesn't say that they were powerful churches. I'm not sure there were very many powerful churches except perhaps at Antioch, maybe at Jerusalem. But there were churches. These were churches where believers were, and they were in those cities. And this, as I said earlier, these these seven churches are in those cities. They're in a rough circle. They're also also the head dispatch of seven postal districts of Asia Minor. So when he sends this letter to the seven churches, this revelation, describing who he is and what he's going to do to bring everything to a a close, that he has that kind of power. Uh, When he sends this to the seven churches, it would then go out from those seven churches to other churches because they were in roughly a circle, and they would have gone outward in that circle, north, south, east, west, and all points in between, and would have been dispatched uh, to these other churches. No doubt, no doubt copies were made and held by churches, and the one that they received would have been sent to another church, and so forth. Uh, it, was, it, was to, it was to follow that up It was to follow those things up, these things that came from the hands of the apostles uh, or that were directly blessed by the apostles, such as the Gospel of Luke, um, that, uh, that caused the church in the first couple of hundred years to give us the canon of Scripture that we have. That's why we have the books of the Bible that we have. The Old Testament that was approved by Jesus and the New Testament that through due diligence was proven to be Brought to us, carried out to us, sent out from uh, the apostles, uh, and so that's why we have the the books of the Bible that we have. Okay, now, and I turned to see the voice that was speaking with me. Okay, so he's in he's in the spirit on the Lord's day, and he is he's not having a dream; he is awake. And he's having a vision. And he is in the he is the he is the one who is the spectator of this vision. And he's watching. Having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. Now that takes us back to the tabernacle and then later to the temple. In the holy place was the menorah, and it had seven candles on it. It was a candlestick with seven candles, three on one side, three on the other, and one in the middle. And to attend to that menorah was uh, one of the important jobs of the Levitical priesthood. If those, if those uh, lamp, if that lampstand wasn't burning, the place would be dark. The holy of holies was shut off from everything else in the holy place, just outside the holy of holies. So. Unless unless there is a divinely placed lampstand, there is otherwise darkness. Okay, but here the number seven is going to come up a lot. And you you should know that it's the number of perfection or the number of completeness. I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the middle of the lampstands, one like Son of man. One like son of man. That was Christ's favorite designation of himself in the Gospels. He referred to himself all the way through as the son of man. It was a messianic title that comes from the book of Daniel. So he says, you know, he looks like son of man. Now, John would have known. John spent three years with him spent the post-resurrection pre ascension time with him, where they learned directly from Jesus, and then was there to behold the ascension of Christ. So he should know something about what what the appearance of Son of Man is, what it looks like. So he says, I, I saw one like Son of Man. Having been clothed, now that's a that's in the perfect middle uh it's part but uh well it's just just the way it always is. He's just having been clothed uh all the way down to his feet and having been girded about at at the uh, at the breasts with a golden sash, so this is a golden sash that comes up under his armpits. And his head and hair, white, as wool, white, as snow. That's a, a Lecon, Lecon. That's a word, it's not just white, it's brilliance. I suppose you could even translate the word brilliant, brilliance. It was a brilliance that was white unlike any white. It was a brilliant white. So his head and hair, brilliant white, the whitest and brightest and shiniest. His eyes like a flame of fire. Nothing escapes his eyes, purifying fire, fire that looks right through you. You're not going to hide anything from the gaze of the Son of God. He'll look right through you. He'll burn away the dross. That's what happens in 1 Corinthians 3 when, when all the bad stuff uh, that's, that we've laid on our foundation, when, the, when all that stuff is burned away, wood, hay, straw, so he says eyes like a flame of fire and his feet like um like brilliant a brilliant luster of bronze. Now that that, that his feet Okay, the bronze—that's where the you know that's a material that the the altar, the brazen altar, and the temple and the tabernacle. That's where you first go inside the tabernacle area. The first thing you have to do is deal with sin. So there's the brazen altar and sacrifices made. So his feet are stamping out sin. He's walking on it. He's crushing it. And his his feet. What's on his feet? is a brilliant, shining uh, luster of, uh, of, of, of bronze, fine bronze. That's his feet. So what is he looking at? Well, he's looking at one who looks something like the Ancient of Days, described in the book of, of Daniel. Someone who has on with his sash and the other descriptions that are going to be made later on, He's he has on apparently... A, a a robe of a high priest, a royal priest, uh, because he also looks kingly. He looks priestly and he looks kingly. Uh, fine bronze as having been refined in a furnace, and his voice like the voice of many waters. We've all perhaps heard the crashing of waves when, when the ocean was unsettled and these waves were extraordinarily large and crashing and you couldn't hear anybody carry on conversation. Or maybe some of you like me has, maybe you visited Niagara Falls and you can't hear a thing with this, with this water uh, exploding and pouring over the edge uh, so this is, this is another description of his, of his voice. Like the, like the voice of, of exploding wa- many, many waters. And he is holding in his right hand seven stars. And out of his mouth is going forth and there's that uh, there's that uh, present present participle again. It just this is this is him. This this automatic. This is always coming from him. Uh, going forth, uh, a so it's out of his mouth. Going forth, a sharp two-edged sword. Now. In the book of Hebrews, the two-edged sword is the word of God. The word of God is like a two-edged sword. Um, so this is a this is a piercing, a thrusting, a slashing that you cannot stop. It's too sharp. It's too powerful. It's too mighty. To cut you in half. Uh, now that's a comfort for the believer, but it's not a comfort for the unbeliever. And his face is like the sun shining in its full strength. Midday blast of the full power of the solar energy, the sun in the sky. That's what his face looked like. This is something that's not easy to see. Up until this time, no one has ever seen Christ like this or could describe him like this. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. John's not the only one who's done that in his presence. In the Old Testament, when they saw the same thing, the presence of deity, they fell like dead men Uh, So John just, what are you going to do? You have no strength in you when you're looking at deity. You have nothing left. He collapses. And he placed his right hand upon me, his right hand. You get that? His right hand, his hand of authority, his hand of strength, his hand of power. He places his powerful hand, his authoritative hand, on me, saying, fear not, I am the first and the last. So John hears it from from the very mouth of the glorified Christ, who is God the Son. Hadn't seen him like this before. John hadn't. And the faithful, tender Christ in all of his power and glory reaches his hand of power, that hand that could do anything, and gently lifts up his friend, John, the beloved. And he says, don't be afraid. He says, I'm going to tell you something. I am the first and the last. I created everything and I'm going to call everything into its final judgment. Then he goes on, he says, and the living one, zone, the living one, that's, that's a proper name, and the living one, he goes on to explain, I was dead, and behold, or look, do, and look, I am living, to the ages of the ages now that's an interesting phrase because although he was dead, he was always living and we get that from the from the fact that again it's in the present active this verb i me i me i to honor on um. Yeah, I, I I suffered death. I, I went through death, but I'm always alive. I am. I am living forever to the ages of the ages. And I have the keys of death and of hades. You know, Satan wants you to think that he has the power of death and all the... Christ has the power of death. He has the keys to death and Hades. Hades, I've said many times, it's translated hell, Hades. It is the netherworld of the unsaved dead. The, the, the paradise world of the saved dead are outfitted in in a in a beautiful robe that is that is fit for the intermediate state until the resurrection but in Hades in Hades they can only suffer and feel pain Christ has the keys to that he has the keys to death and Hades the, the netherworld of the unsaved dead. He has the keys to it. So write the things that you have seen. Okay, he just has seen Christ in a way that he's never seen. God the Son. Jesus of Nazareth was, is, always, has been, always will be very God, a very God who accommodated himself to a human body to cut the covenant and to complete what was required in the covenant that the son made with the father before the world ever was, and thus he had it was, it was, it was necessary for him to die to do that. But he's he's saying, yeah, I'm I'm the one who was who was dead like that. But I'm I always am. I am. And I have these keys. Write what you've seen. So now, for the first time, the church is going to receive the teaching of the person of the Christ, who He is, the one who has been among us and died for us. He goes on. And the things that are, that's chapters two and three, those are the seven churches of the Revelation. And the things that are about to take place after these. Now that begins in the Revelation chapter 4. Uh, so that's part three of the revelation and the longest of the three parts. The mystery of the seven stars, which you saw on my right hand, and the seven lamps golden and the seven golden lampstands. The seven stars. Are the messengers, angeloid, it's the word angel, but it's the same thing as messenger, are the messengers of the seven churches. And the lampstands are the seven churches. So that takes us back to the beginning of this portion here, where Christ is in a room that is otherwise dark, except for the lampstands that he has placed. He has placed them, and he's walking around now. This, this, this room is not dark anymore. It's lighted up by these seven separate lampstands. It's a little bit different than one menorah, which has seven lamps in one lamp stand. These are seven lampstands, and each one has a lamp on it, and it's strategically placed. So the seven churches, these that are the seven churches, are strategically placed, and there is a light that shines out from them, and One of the things to think about is the light that shines out from them is this wonderful gift from the Father to the Son, which is the unveiling, the revealing of Jesus Christ. That's a a great light to shine. And this is the message of the church. Nobody else has this message, that God himself became a man And he is the man, he is the one, though he became a man, he always was, always is, evermore shall be, who is the creator and our judge, our savior, and the consummator of all things, who will call an end to everything that he created because of the sin that came into it. And after he calls an end to it and judges everything, then he will create a new heaven and a new earth. That's how powerful he is. That's who he is. All right, so he says these are the now the seven stars, the seven angels, seven messengers. Those obviously are the are the seven key messengers. Each church has a key messenger, and Christ has them. You'll see he has them in his right hand. There's that right hand again, the hand of authority, the hand of power, uh, the hand uh, the hand of 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 might. So it is the hand of Christ that has the authority. And the seven messengers are simply charged with delivering his message. The power is his, and the power of the message comes from him, and the messengers are just charged with delivering the message. Probably the chief elder or, or pastor. I, I think it, it refers to the, to, the, to the teaching elder or the pastor. Of, of the church, and that makes more sense the more we go into the seven churches uh, when we look at it, because when he addresses the church, he addresses the messenger of the church, and to the messenger of the church at Ephesus, right, these things. All right, so that, uh, that ends that uh, part, that chapter, so we'll stop there with our Bible study, and God willing, pick it up Sunday night. All right, let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for the gift of the revelation that you gave to your son that we might know his great power and his ability to save and to keep us saved and to deliver us through everything that's going to happen on planet earth and beyond and to take us even past the great white throne and then into the new heaven and the new earth. Thank you, God that you have made us part of this eternal, wonderful covenant in Christ Jesus, our Lord, who died to save us, who lives to keep us and who's coming again for us and in whose name we pray. Amen.